Hello everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Watch No Evil. This is Zach. And this is Matt. And this week, we're talking about the 2020 Canadian Shudder exclusive entitled Slacks, with two X's. In the film, the Canadian Cotton Clothiers, or the CCC, is preparing to launch a new line of clothes featuring jeans called the Super Shapers. New CCC employee Libby witnesses the horrific overnight launch as a sentient pair of super shapers starts killing and dismembering her co-workers. Meanwhile, her manager Craig thwarts every move she makes to ensure the safety of herself and her co-workers, giving the movie an anti-capitalist motif. So, we watch this movie. It is... <laughs> on premise it's ridiculous it's a killer pair of pants but that being said i think that this movie is as good as a movie about a killer pair of pants can be yeah well i think that the biggest thing about it is that it doesn't take itself super seriously like it's clearly comedic in nature the entire premise is is wild and fantastical and you know that the person who directed it is probably some like millennial or gen xer that watched the attack of the pants episode of jimmy neutron when they were younger <laughs> like it's that also it is surprisingly deep like if you watch the trailer you're like great it's a slasher movie where the killer is a pair of pants it's initially going to turn a lot of people off yeah i think so too from the trailer but we were like hey this looks just ridiculous enough to be good and it surpassed our expectations. It has a lot of like anti-capitalism, anti-consumerism in it, as well as shining a light on cultural appropriation. What was the one review you're reading that someone was all mad about it being too on the nose? Oh, yeah. It, the message was too heavy handed. It's like, well, it's only really heavy handed if you support child labor in other countries. I think particularly the CCC and the character Craig, who is the store manager, is just so good at capturing the spirit of capitalism in those two entities because one the ccc like feels like a cult and they have all these kitschy sayings and they have the mandatory employee purchase plan that craig mentions at some point it's almost makes it feel like a, a multi-level marketing kind of thing the entity that is the ccc is like it's paying its employees but it's also like kind of feeding off of them mm -hmm. in a way kind of how the pants themselves are feeding off of the employees originally because of this kind of cult leadership and and um following that the ccc seems to have at first i got this kind of like nazism vibe coming from it because also on the super shaper pants there's that ss logo and it looks a lot like the the nazi symbology yeah and, and of course when you're thinking about that symbology of this like cult following it's got like a hypnotic message in there because it sort of indicates that the pants on some level have the ability to like hypnotize people into putting mm -hmm. them on specifically with hunter at the beginning and the idea behind it is that libby's this idealistic young person who believes that the corporation is founded on good intentions with cotton that is not genetically altered and that they can trace all of the labor of each of their employees that are actually picking the cotton, weaving the cotton, making the fabric, making the, the jeans. So there's this idea that the company in itself is working ethically, that everything is ethically sourced and, and all of the labor is ethically produced. But ultimately, it's not true and it hides the bad, deeper intentions and I think that with all of the other employees, you don't get that same sort of like fanatical devotion. 
It feels a little bit more like I'm just doing the job that I have to do, which is another statement on capitalism in general. And also capitalism feeds so easily into fascism. The entire source of, of the discontent of the employee is at the hands of the capitalist structure. But through the slogans and the ideologies that the, the upper management is trying to impress upon its employees their unhappiness is only their own and not as a response to what the higher level structure is doing and so clearly i think that it has a little bit of that and i do think that the logo is a little bit symbolic of that but two as far as this movie being capitalist in nature it takes no prisoners and that's a big part of it that even our main characters are killed off they succumb to it even if they didn't necessarily want want to participate in it and there is this sort of involuntary participation idea and the only people that don't actually suffer at the hands of capitalism are the people at the highest position so harold who is the the ceo and founder he doesn't get killed nothing bad happens mm-hmm. to him so it's yeah. i think the the message there is too that it leaves this like wake of destruction and ultimately the ethical quandaries that are brought to the fold in this movie don't ever get actually exposed to the outer world so after this movie events if they settle down at all harold's going to be able to rebuild and nothing hurt him in the long run and i mm-hmm. think that that's like a pretty substantial statement to workers in general that like the people at the top literally do not care unless they are making money that unless it directly affects them and Craig is perfect compare like Darth Vader and Kylo Ren Kylo Ren is sort of this neo-fascist fanboy of Darth Vader that wants to climb to those ranks and he participates in this culture Craig is the same Craig wants to be at the top but we know just from watching it and like his desperation. He's never going to make it anywhere near there. He's just another tool in the long-running game that the people at the top have. That's the same way with everything. You know, you have the people who are going to say like, oh, you can't criticize capitalism. You just aren't working hard enough in capitalism. You can definitely pull yourself up to the same level as a Jeff Bezos or an Elon Musk without having to have had all of the possible privileges that they did. Your family doesn't need to have an emerald mine from the apartheid. They can just work their way up by being smart, right? And that's not the case at all. And so ultimately he's protected because he's at the top. That was the thing that I sort of hated about this movie. The more that I thought about it is that I just wish that they had killed him. And I know it doesn't necessarily fit with the message but i wish that they had killed him (laughs) like you're talking about harold yeah harold i wish that it had taken out harold yeah that's totally part of the message in the movie because the whole thing at the end is that kubat is really the pants she's the young girl who got shredded and her soul has been bound to these pants in the making of them kind of have to suspend your your disbelief on on that one that's the whole message that kirat wants out in the world is that she wants justice and kind of that's kind of like the whole purpose of this movie is that there is no justice in capitalism is that you do get these people who work really hard and believe in the system like libby but they are never going to see that level of success because the success really isn't just it isn't success it's luck so you get kind of the whole spectrum of the socioeconomic class here from 
Harold, who really isn't that involved at all. He's barely in the movie, all the way down to Kirat, whose life is sacrificed for the benefit of Harold's company. And I do like Craig a lot. He's kind of like the capitalist spirit incarnate, I think. He's a well-written character. Yeah. And, you know, Libby is kind of like made out to be the main character, and she's like so obviously the final girl, Mm -hmm. even though she doesn't survive. But I, I think that the main character of this movie really is Craig, just because, one, how well his character was acted but also you know he just played such a large part like uh, of all the actions done in the movie the number one action taker was the pants and then craig not saying that craig was doing good things but i mean he's a very driven person because he wants to prove himself his motivations are definitely corrupted i don't think that he's been corrupted he just has to fit into the system and this is the only way to do it he's doing exactly what he is being told to do for the most part he is simply a facilitator of the larger issue right because he wishes to move up in the system he wants to go from store manager to regional manager he's doing these pretty terrible things like not allowing his employees to call 911 or leave they originally presume that there is a killer on loose and he's like ah oh, no 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 it's like she uh was it Gemma was the first death he's like oh no she probably did this to herself she's literally chopped in half like <laughs> How can someone do that to themselves? They they do insert a lot of that humor. Like speaking of Gemma's death, he goes, I know she had body issues, but I wish she'd reached out for help. And it's just like such a, a deadpan kind of reaction to finding this dismembered body. That is not an appropriate reaction. Well, I would like to argue that. I think that it is an appropriate reaction for the type of person that he is caricaturing. They will find every other excuse other than the one that is directly in front of them and the most correct. It's another way that you try to fit into the capitalist structure. It's like, oh no, capitalism didn't do this bad thing. People did this bad thing. It's basically the argument against most poor people or homeless people. It's they did this to themselves by not working hard enough or not reaching out for help. But the system of capitalism is literally killing people. Yeah. This is going to be a really anti-capitalist episode. It's (laughs) an anti-capitalist movie. So like, how can we not? Anyways, going back, I think that it is an inappropriate reaction just because within the scope of this movie, it's not. It's not an inappropriate reaction, like what you were saying, because we we do have this scope of like, here he is being capitalist incarnate. We don't really get that at this point in the movie. Like, we haven't grown that awareness yet when they discover Gemma's body. So it's like, it's just this weird kind of like, huh, why is he acting like that? This is not a normal kind of like, oh, I just found a person who's chopped in half. Like, Libby has the the appropriate reaction. She's freaked out. She goes to get help. And then he just kind of shrugs it off and is like, well, c'est la vie. It's also interesting how, as the events play out, he starts unraveling and becoming more and more desperate as more of his employees start dying or going missing. And it's not because he's scared. It's not because he's scared of whatever is killing his employees off. It's because he's worried about the store's performance and therefore his performance and therefore his yeah. his uh, success in this capitalist hierarchy. With everyone below him that gets killed, he gets pushed further down the chain. Right. That kind of plays into why he just lets the regional manager go out and get killed. So it's really for his own gain at that point. And that's another statement. I think you mentioned this on some other movie where there was like some capitalist message going on where like if you want to get ahead or get praise for something you have to like step on someone else 
mm-hmm. in order to do so. And that's kind of the, the thing here is like he's basically sacrificing her at hopes of like getting that regional manager job. And then there's also he offers Struti a raise in exchange for the camera because he wants that evidence that's on the camera. Yeah, monetary incentive. Yeah, and that's the kind of thing that like happens all the time, especially in like morally ambiguous entities like the ccc in this case and then so so she's like okay fine you found me like here's the camera and he just stabs her so it's like oh no you don't actually get the raise you you get dead they kill their employees to get what they need it's like you know the way that amazon is literally doing a bunch of illegal shit to try and keep workers from being able to unionize Mm -hmm. because they would rather that their employees die before they could survive comfortably so and and that's the thing like jeff bezos wasn't working at the gap when he was a teenager like he wasn't a libby he wasn't even a craig it's just he went straight to herald status but anyways, capitalist agenda aside, there's also some like really great social justice messaging in this movie, especially with Kirat and, and how it relates to the capitalist agenda. <laughs> Literally to what Jeff Bezos is doing with unethical labor and child slave labor. I agree. Yeah, but in China. <laughs> right. Yes. More and China. India. <laughs> India is a big one, though. It's terrible. It really is at the cost of others that we live so comfortably in America. With the whole like cultural appropriation thing, though. Obviously, like the Indian culture in this is kind of like the most prevalent. And it kind of starts out right from the beginning where we get it opens on the cotton field that these Indian workers are in. They're picking the cotton and then they show the CCC and the CCC then like goes on a box and then that gets shipped to the store and then the, the super shapers come out of the box and put on the shelf at the store. So we get that right away and there is like this really cool moment in the soundtrack where it goes from like this traditional like Indian kind of soundtrack to then goes like a more modern kind of synth score that's like really suspenseful as soon as you get in like the stock room. That's that's kind of like an atmospheric thing and they split those two realities with the soundtrack and the atmosphere cuz like outside in the cotton field it's like all like it's like kind of like this dusty coloring that we get but it's like kind of bright and those are the only shots that we ever get that are outside of the ccc store which is really interesting because it's like you feel kind of trapped and i think that's kind of by design mm-hmm. it being somewhat of a slasher movie it's a prison yeah and even at the end when like the gates lifting up outside of the store and like the, all these consumers are like fighting to get in it's like a black friday brawl kind of thing it doesn't really show you any of the details of what is outside the store it's just this white brightness and people's figures oh and i think it's a literal interpretation of black friday because it's called monday madness yeah the implication of the word madness anyways i keep talking about cultural appropriation then going to something else so the cultural appropriation itself kind of starts with these Peyton YouTube videos are kind of like interspersed throughout the movie and in the first one she goes like namaste after she like bought some yoga pants or something and it was like the way that she said it like there's nothing wrong with saying the word namaste Namaste. but she wasn't saying it to say it she was saying it to mock the culture of both the Indian culture while being appropriative of yoga in general and then there is, there's the whole thing with Sruti, with like the Bollywood stuff. Which both plays into the stereotype and against the stereotype. I always like those moments. Because mm-hmm. it kind of really shows the duality of 
the issue. Yeah. Whenever you have an issue like cultural appropriation or capitalism, like there is a duality to it. Like there is at least a nugget of something that makes sense in what might otherwise be like the insanity of something as convoluted as capitalism or seemingly simple as cultural appropriation. It's always a gray area. Part of the whole thing with the Hamada India song at the beginning with, with Shruti, it's largely about agency and like the assumption of like because she said to her she's like oh that's my favorite so like she was trying to make conversation by connecting with her being indian but in doing so she took away the agency of identity away from shruti it's different if shruti had said oh i'm listening to metal music and then they had the conversations like oh what other kind of music do you listen to she said oh i also like this type of music that is an invitation for the other person to participate in the assumption of agency so that she can be like, oh, I really like Hamara India, which is a part of that thing that you just said you like. Like there is a, mm-hmm. a, a way there, but in first meeting someone jumping to an identity or an ethnicity and a stereotype of that ethnicity, you take away agency of the person to invite you into the comfort of that. The movie itself has a great example because she does the counter. She asks Libby where she's from and she's like says like Greenville or something like that. And she goes, oh, do you like Green Day? It's the fact that Libby is like, oh, you're Indian, so you must listen to this Indian Bollywood music. She can't change her person. Uh, She can't change her race or where she came from. Just me looking at Shruti as a character and, like, who seems to have personality, it's like her race is not her personality. It's just looking at someone, it's like, what are they wearing? You know, do they have like tattoos or piercings or something like those are more visual expressions of personality. And the way that Shruti is dressed, it's like, oh, she's into punk rock. That's kind of like the the vibe that you get off of her rather than, you know, oh, I'm going to look at her skin color and say that this is the kind of music that she likes. Yeah, because clothing is always going to be an expression of a person a little bit more than you can't change skin color, but you can change the style of shirt that you're wearing. And I think that actually that's sort of one of the things that this movie did really well especially being a clothing-related movie, each of the characters had, like, a distinctive style that sort of Mm -hmm. said a little bit about them. Gemma, who was dressed a little bit more provocatively, she was a little bit more of, like, clearly a hot girl vibe. Like, she wanted to be attractive. And then you have Hunter, who was not uber-professional, but it was a little bit more relaxed, casual, like, business-appropriate. Like, and then you had... Lord, who was dressed more formally. I I wouldn't even say formal so much as like he was dressed smartly. Yeah. And that's kind of like more of what his character was, in my opinion. Yeah. Very quippy. Yeah. And that goes all the way to Peyton too, whereas like she is like they even show the montage of her trying to pick out an outfit. Like she is unsure of herself. Uh and or not Peyton, Peyton. Libby. Yeah, Libby. Sorry, Libby going through different outfits and she like doesn't really know what to pick out. And she's like largely a submissive character. Like she's okay with p- paying full price for her new employee clothing. And, you know, she even as the pants are like leaving after killing Craig, she's like playing dead. And just the way she acts too is largely yeah. submissive kind of personality and honestly for being like the main character in the movie i feel like she was really flat that's one of the things that i thought too i didn't necessarily think flat but easily projectable like you could see any sort of aspect of yourself in her because she had not 
a great many lines and not a great mm-hmm. big of a personality. It's like, you know, the, how they used to have dolls and they didn't put the eyes on the dolls so that people could impart their own sort of like sense of expression on them. That was sort of what Libby mm-hmm. was, I think, in a way. And going to the clothes part of it. Yeah, she's not fully formed as like a person. And we get that early on because she's got this wide-eyed and wonderful sense about the CCC in general. And she's mystified by it all. And she's always wanted to work there. She's impressionable and she's not to say gullible, but she buys into everything about it. She's trying to find how she's going to fit into the hierarchy of the company at large. And so, yeah, she doesn't have a lot of personality. In that, I think that you are correct. The more dynamic character is really Craig and is really Shruti. I mean, that's true of any character, really. The only character we really get backstory on is Kirat and Craig, but otherwise we don't really know too many of these characters very well, especially the ones who die quickly. So I would like to talk about some of the awesome deaths in this movie. So we start out with Gemma. She like steals the pants and and she just puts them on. It's like, how could you not, how do you think you're going to get away with that? You pointed out the, there's like a poster somewhere. They fit to your shape if you're five pounds over or five pounds underweight. No, I was talking about, about like the stealing, but... There's a big sign in the bathroom that says theft hurts us all. I, I like that for the Super Shaper like commercial or whatever it was. It's one shape for all is like the slogan. And it's like, it's made to fit all unique body shapes. Five pounds underweight or five pounds overweight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's the, that's the extent of what you would call unique body shapes. <sighs> yep. That's capitalism, baby. Well, and the fashion industry and how they work in tandem. It's really terrible. It's funny because it all comes from the same place. It's fast fashion. And so fast fashion is, is fashion that is relatively cheap to buy that you can just wear. It's wearable. It's also not ethically sustainable, nor is it ethically obtained. Even companies like this that are saying that they are ethically sourced and ethically fashioned and ethically acquired, it's not really ethical. It's just a little sticker that they slap on it to say that it's ethical so that more people will buy it, but they can charge more for it. Meanwhile, this sticker was made by slave labor. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, okay, first of all, Clothes for bigger people are always going to cost more. And the argument is like, oh, it's because there's more fabric, yada, yada, yada. But it's also largely going to be made and manufactured the same way. And also the cost differentiation. If we're going to be honest, it's negligible. And then you Mm -hmm. have this idea, it's costing this and then this other company, which is creating organic garments, organic cotton, and they're using ethically sourced and manufactured materials. It's like, well, it's not really but they need another reason to charge people more. So it's just making up for losses, ultimately. Which is why it's so difficult to find uh, clothes for bigger people that are both ethically acquired and relatively cheap. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is, like, most people in the world, like, they, they can't afford anything that's not, like, what would be considered fast fashion. It's called fast fashion because it's, like, fast food, but... Mm-hmm. equating it to the fashion world right yeah well Kohl's is fast fashion essentially but you've got these brands like american eagle or h&m that are like somewhere in between what is fast fashion and what is not fast fashion like it's a, got a little bit of a name but the sourcing the manufacturing and the markup are not equitable mm-hmm. like that's and that's the big thing about the textile industry is largely racist first of all 
big problem. Uh, and then second of all, it's all basically made up. Like most things involving capitalism, it's largely a scam. Right. The value is not reflective of what the product is actually worth. Capitalism is bad. Point of episode. <laughs> we're done. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing is like, it, who would have thought that this is the movie that would have spurred on this conversation? You know, that's a good point. <laughs> At the end of the day, <laughs> about it's a killer movie pants. <laughs> about a killer pair of pants. And, you know, at first blush, you're like, ah, it's a silly slasher movie. And no, it's so much more. And I think it's just so well done because it it walks this tightrope between like this humorous slasher and like the humor communicates that they know what they're about here. They know that this is a movie about a killer pair of pants. Right. And they're like, yes, it's ridiculous. But also there's the, the other half of it where it's it's like... This really profound statement on capitalism and the society uh, that we live in here. And like, there are these really humorous moments. Like, the Bollywood scene is hilarious. The cinematography of the mannequin dancing down the hallway mm -hmm. in the pants is like so hilarious, but also kind of terrifying because it's this mannequin with the bindi on its forehead and like, you're like, what's going on? It's a su surprisingly good movie that actually makes like a point. I will go back and watch this movie like within a month because it's just so entertaining and it's good. I would recommend it to anyone that I know who is into horror. But the pants themselves. Mm -hmm. Let's let's talk more of the horror elements of it. So when we start talking about the deaths, how Jenna gets cut in half by the pants. And I think that's probably like like let's say this this goes down as like an iconic slasher movie, which we know it won't, but you know, let's say it did. I think that Jenna would kind of be the the iconic kill of it. Yeah. Because it's like the way that you would expect killer pants to kill is put me on and then I'll hug you till you're in half. And it's so great how that scene is going down at the same time as the super shaper presentation. It's explaining how the thermal engineering behind the pants works yeah. and you're seeing it like malfunction <laughs> at the same time. And then Hunter is the one who like gets hypnotized by them. She gets kind of like contorted and then gets impaled on the hook, which is like very Blair Witch. Yeah, it's kind of like a class kill for what you'd expect this movie to be and it's off screen too could be an homage to a Blair Witch kill yeah. and then we I don't think we ever see her again until like she's in that pile of dead bodies at the end yeah for sure which is surprising because it does make you feel like she's gonna be a bigger character and then she's immediately not well and I love that image of the the pile of dead bodies with like the pants feeding off of it <laughs> yeah it's really... like all the pairs of pants like one it's really kind of funny yeah. Uh, because, like, the pants are like this, it's like a herd of animals. There's something weirdly classic about it. Like, I feel mm -hmm. like I've seen that image in, like, a monster flick, like a clover field or something. Yeah. But what it reminded me of within the movie itself was the pile of mannequin parts. They're in the dumpster earlier on. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, mannequins are used to like, sell products and, you know, they're like it's the soulless modeling the products or whatever. And it's kind of like what they all end up being too, because they're required to wear the CCC clothing when they're, what the guys say at the beginning, when they're on and off the floor. So yeah. they're kind of like mannequins themselves, but also like they're pushing the product. You know, they're selling it. They're basically just kind of the same function to the capitalist structure as these mannequins are. So that was kind of a, a neat parallel. And then we get Lord. 
who is like just trying to do his job and like put the pants back in the stock room and then he like goes to put them on but then the pants just start eating him yeah oh god (laughs) the pants cutting off his hands is so funny that kill was super cheesy and that's what i expected this whole movie to be like Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like satisfying to get what I expected. Yeah, it was, you know? some, it was some good cheese. Just a little bit of it. And then that followed up by the really satisfying kill of Peyton, who's the influencer who yeah. just has like this really grand sense of self-importance. The fact that her death is so fast and kind of unremarkable is perfect. Because that's what she is unremarkable well it's funny because i texted you earlier today being like okay i finally broke and signed up for tiktok mm-hmm. for the podcast we now have a tiktok and the tiktok is watch no evil podcast if you're interested in seeing clips seeing uh images that are related to episode announcements and other announcements that we might or might not make on social media and if you care about fun kind of goofy music theory content you can follow uh ivory tower content i'm actually gonna do that right now which is my friend seth well since we're winding down here i totally forgot about the game so let's do that okay i have a game for you zach it's called terrifying textiles i like it already it's a simple game. I'm going to read you either a plot synopsis or a review of a movie. And I'm going to tell you the name of the movie uh, and all that. And I want you to tell me if it's real or if I made it up. Okay. Fact or fiction. Here's number one. Deerskin is a fashion-forward slasher about male vanity, which sticks the landing. The more leather attire his protagonist, George Jean Dujardin, acquires... The more his sanity splinters. One moment he's soaking in his manly image. The next he's talking to his friend's jacket about being the only person in the world to have a jacket. And bringing the dream to life by massacring everyone who won't surrender their coats to him. Zach, is Deerskin a real movie or did I make this up? If you made it up, we should try to sell the rights, but uh, I think it's real. It is real. You got it. All right, here's the next one. It sounds pretty good, actually. It's a real movie. <laughs> French director. It's called Deerskin. All right. This one. This movie is called The Ballad of Sarah Barry. Uh, and Sarah Barry was a popular bitch. Hot bod, hot boyfriend, cheer captain, and wealthy too. It's senior year and queen of the prom is her claim until gossip stirred that Julie Jenkins, the one-legged pity case, would get the vote. The near-fractured mental state of a privileged adolescent girl would be the perfect victim for a demon trapped in an antique necklace. Lindsay Mendez's manic, murderous, and provocative performance enthralls for every bloody moment as we count down towards the crown. This is fake. This has you written all over it. It's actually a song called <laughs> The Ballad of Sarah Barry. Everything about it is exactly true, except for the antique necklace part, which is mine. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's from the song cycle 35mm. It spells prom queen in the song with like cheer claps between it. And it explains how she murders all of the other prom queens. Oh, that's good. It's pretty good. Who is this by? Ryan Scott Oliver. Um, All right, here's the next one. Looking for a pick-me-up after hard days on the job as a bank teller, Sheila walks out of the department store at Dentley and Soper's with a possessed red dress. It moves on its own, agitates dogs when she wears it, attempts to suffocate her son's girlfriend mid-orgasm, and leads Sheila into a fatal car accident before moving on to its next owner. In fabrics, Jaulo roots, and phantasmagorical filmmaking give gravity to a patently absurd idea. Real. It's real. 
It is real. And it's inspired by suburbia. So we should watch this one. Suspiria, not suburbia. Just hearing it kind of like got Suspiria vibes. Yep. It's based, I'm it's, down. It's inspired by Suspiria. Okay, here's here's the last one I got for you. Technically, clown suits count as clothing, right? Birthday clowns play dress up as part of their vocation. Gaudy striped pants and a polka dot vest comprise an outfit. So Clown, a movie about a devoted dad slowly turning into a child-eating abomination courtesy of demonic metamorphosis should qualify. No one would wear clown clothes and call it fashion, but they would wear a dead animal skin. So it's the grimmest of punchlines that the skin of an Icelandic demon starts the unsuspecting main character's transformation from man to fiend. Now this this is the first one where I feel like I have no idea. The Icelandic part really threw me, so I'm going to say it's fake. Zach, this is real. It's real? Yeah. Oh my god. Because <laughs> it's like, it sounds just ridiculous enough to like be something that you made up, <laughs> specifically. Cl- the clown skin of an Icelandic demon. Yeah. Like, who comes up with that? Well, I don't want to watch that one. What? I do. <laughs> I think that sounds great, except for the child eating. I, yeah, that's... <laughs> Except for, you know, everything about it. I mean, Icelandic demons, like, I'm down for that. But if they're going to be dressed as a clown and eating children, mm-hmm. no Well, it's a, it's a man. He looks like a normal guy. But the... but the I just have a... Yeah, here's no, the thing. but he's possessed. Here's the thing. They would wear a dead animal's skin. Zach, what clothing are you wearing that was made from an animal? What is the fabric of this clown suit? Um, leather? <laughs> exactly. Like, I can't think of any type of fabric that could... Snake skin? Get, that, Alligator skin? Yeah, but I can't think of any type of fabric that could be seamlessly worn full body as, like, a dead dead demon skin. I mean, it's like a fur coat. <laughs> On the clown suit? Hey, he's from Iceland. Like, I could... Yeah, I could see fur being, like, a part of he's it. He's got obviously. some, like, some some fox tail uh robe so he's not a clown he's a furry (laughs) that's what you're saying no that's like a thing in uh in that part of the world it's uh, having the foxtail robe kind of things okay whatever that's yeah i'm I'm totally making that up but wouldn't that be terrifying though a clown in a foxtail robe yeah because how would i know it's a clown it needs to be wearing a clown suit it's got the makeup you know like the face makeup but how would i know that crazy hair but here's the thing how would i know that that was a clown and not like a spa day you know what i'm saying uh bad sense of humor how would i know that that was a clown and not like a spa day (laughs) listen i'm just saying the people who go to get spa days aren't gonna have the best sense of humor either (laughs) the wives of trust fund thank you everyone for listening to this week's episode of watch no evil this has been matt and this is zach And folks, we have a lot of opinions, but just remember, we put our pants on, like everyone else, agonizingly.